to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Tonight we're continuing our Bible study series we began a couple of weeks ago called Living the Lord's Prayer. Living the Lord's Prayer. Um, as I've mentioned several times, that sounds kind of strange. Usually you'd say we're going to talk about praying the Lord's Prayer. But that's very obvious. And along the way we are going to be talking about how to pray the Lord's Prayer. But a number of years ago, God just laid it on my heart that uh, we need to spend some time talking about how do we live it. Uh, the idea being that if we're going to pray something, Lord's Prayer or anything, and if we're sincere about it, we need to be willing to be part of the answer. Uh, a couple examples, you know, Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest to send up people into the harvest. And we pray that. Well, we need to be willing to be part of those workers that are going to go out into the harvest. You know, um, if we got financial needs, we pray, God, meet my financial needs. But we got to be willing to do what we can to meet our financial needs. We don't just sit around and say, Lord, I don't have a job. Would you pay my bills? Chances are he probably isn't. If you're not doing everything you can do, you know, you need to live it out. Um, an example from the Lord's Prayer. We don't need to just say, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> you know, we say, Lord, your will be done and show me what your will is for me and help me to do it. So how do we live and not just pray the Lord's Prayer? And so the first week we had kind of an introductory week. Last week we talked about the word our and we and us. What was the significance that all these pronouns in this prayer, Jesus made them plural. You know, it's not just about me and mine, okay, and my, but it's we, our, us. If you missed that, you can listen to it online. And then tonight we're dealing with Father. Now, we're not just going to take the whole prayer one word at a time, okay? Next week we're going to jump to two words. And then we're going to go phrase by phrase, okay? Just there's some significant stuff in this beginning part. So tonight we're going to talk about the fact that Jesus says we can pray to God as Father. You know, what does the Bible say about that? What do we see in Jesus' life um, that demonstrates that? How should that affect the way we pray? How should that affect the way we live that we can address God as Father? But I want to start off with this one little thought, and that is each of us have different feelings and memories and thoughts about fathers and fatherhood. And whenever I speak about fathers, Father's Day or any time, I'm always mindful of the fact that some people are very blessed, like I have been, to have a fantastic father. And my dad will listen to this Bible study tomorrow night, so dad, I'm glad you're listening. Uh, He and my mom always do that. But anyway, uh, I had a fantastic father. Uh, Some people haven't. In fact, some people have some on the other end of the spectrum, and then there's some all the way in between. And so I like to remind us is that even if we did not have a good experience with our father, one of the reasons it maybe hurts us so badly is that we know what a father should be like. And so that's what we need to focus on, not so much our father, okay, except if you had a good one, how that maybe helps you understand God the father better. But if you didn't have such a good one, remember that God is the perfect father. God is the father that we all should have had, okay, Um, And so we need to keep our eyes on that. So we're going to read the whole prayer, even though we're just going to focus on the word Father. So this is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus 
is talking about some things in general about how we should pray and how we shouldn't pray and we should do it in relationship with God and not to make a spectacle of ourselves and repeat empty words and all that kind of stuff. But he says, starting in verse 9, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That last phrase may be in your Bible. It may not be. It's in some translations. It's not in others because it's not in every one of the original manuscripts, but it certainly is consistent with the teaching of God's word. So tonight we do want to look at this word father and the concept of God as father. All right. Um, I think that we've gotten so used to being able to talk about God being father that we may not realize that it's not always been that way. In fact, if you look at the Bible, God is only referred to as father a couple of times in the Old Testament. And even then, when he's referred to as father, it's not necessarily that he is the father of a certain individual and that individuals in the Old Testament called him father, but he's referred to as the father of Israel, not Israel the person, but Israel the nation. So all the times it talks about God being, well, I say all the times, all the times I'm aware of. If you find one that's different, show me because I'd like to see it, okay? Um, I didn't do a real in-depth look for that. But the ones I did look at three, four, five times talks about God being the father of his nation, his people, all right? But we find Jesus showing up on the scene, and he encourages his followers to address God as father. This was revolutionary to the Jewish people. In fact, the Jewish people who were against Jesus thought this was terrible, okay? They had such a reverent fear, which is a good thing, but it was such a strong fear um, that they would never have considered calling God Father personally. They did not even pronounce God's name because they didn't want to take a chance on breaking, I think it's the third commandment, don't misuse God's name, don't take his name in vain, okay? But what's interesting is that Jesus not only encouraged his disciples to call God Father, he used a very common term for Father, which is Abba. You've heard that before, right? I don't mean the singing group, but... Abba, all right? And that is just the simplest word that someone would call their father. Um, perhaps you've heard teaching saying, well, it's like a little kid saying, Daddy, Daddy. And that certainly is true. But it's a little more serious than that because it's not just little kids that would call their father Abba, but grown adults would call their father Abba. So there is that familiarity, but there is also the respect. Okay, it's not a flippant thing at all. Um, in fact, one person said it was an expression of respectful familiarity or respectful intimacy, okay? And so that's what Jesus said. Now, each of these weeks, as we're looking at a word or a phrase from the Lord's Prayer, there's four questions we're dealing with, okay? So we're going to jump into the first one. The first one is what truths are found in this portion of the Lord's Prayer? Now, what I mean by that, since we're looking at Father, what does the Bible say about God being our father. Now, I'll be honest with you, as I was doing my study, there's so much stuff about this. I couldn't even put all the stuff down all I thought of. So you may have different things than I do, 
my stuff's on the paper because I prepared the Bible study. But I want to hear what you thought because hopefully some of you have been meditating on this. What does the Bible say about God being our father? What kind of father is he? How do we relate to him as father? What comes to your mind when you think of God as being father? Lisa? He's a good father. Yeah, you got that almost right. He's a good, good father. Okay, yeah, got to get that right. Okay. He's a good father. What else? Lynn? Okay, he is a father that disciplines his children. All right. When we were kids, we didn't think that was a good father. Now that we're adults, we realize that, yeah, there's some good that comes out of that if they do it right. Lynn? He's a holy father. And holy means separate. It means righteous. It means different. Yeah. What else about God being father? Anybody? Yes, Amanda. He's reliable, faithful, trustworthy. All those words apply. Yeah. Anybody else? Sharon. He's the giver and sustainer of life. And I thought you were going to stop with that, but he's the giver and sustainer too, isn't he? I mean, he takes care of his kids. A good father takes care of his kids. And, and, and a good father doesn't just take care of them by giving them what they need. But he likes to, he delights in blessing them too. Okay. Without getting into extremes of demanding blessings, but God loves to bless his kids. Yes, Vida. He provides security. He protects. Okay? Parents protect their kids. Now, we've got to keep in mind, we as parents understand this. We protect our kids, but if we're going to do a good job raising them, sometimes we kind of back off a little bit, right? And we let them experience some things so that they can learn and grow. And God's the same way. He protects his kids, but he lets us go through things so we can learn and grow. In fact, that's a lot about the trials and tribulations, so our faith will grow. I saw another hand back there. Tim. He is just and fair. Yes. Chris. He's a father that never sleeps or never slumbers. And here's, he's very attentive. His eyes are always on us. Now, if that makes you feel good, great. If it makes you feel guilty, maybe you should pray a little bit. <laughs> One more, Vita, then we've got to move on. Go ahead. And that leads into my next point. He's the father of the whole world. Who can rightfully call God Father? <laughs> You're looking at your note sheet and trying to fill in the blanks, right? What were you going to say, Lynn? Those who receive Those who receive Jesus. That's right. On your note sheet, I have this letter A under number one. All who trust in Christ for salvation are God's children. We mentioned this last week. There's kind of that saying out there that, you know, we're all God's children. Every human being. But there's nothing in Scripture about us all being God's children. Or that God is everyone's father. He's everyone's creator. But John makes it very clear in John 1, 11 to 12. He says, Jesus came to his own, his own people, his own country. Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Not all of them, but a lot of them. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In fact, Jesus said about some of the religious leaders, he says, you're just like your father, the devil. <laughs> Romans 8, verses 14 and 15 says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons, and it's implied daughters also, of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons or daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
Okay, that very familiar, intimate, but respectful term for daddy, or whatever you called your dad, okay? You can also read later Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It says something very similar. The second truth, and again, mine aren't exhaustive. I just was doing the same thing you were. I was meditating on it all week long, and when I put my Bible study together, I put down the ones that stuck out to me, okay? Number B, or letter B, God values his children and is attentive to their needs. That goes back to what Chris said, that God never sleeps. He's always watching out for us. God values his children and is attentive to their needs. Matthew 6, 26, also part of the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, it's later on in the same chapter. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He makes the point that God takes care of creation. He takes care of the birds. Other places talks about he takes care of the grasses. You know, and you're much more valuable to him than they are. He's going to take care of you. Matthew 10, 29 to 31 says something similar. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And, are, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Okay? Letter C. God loves his children and wants what is best for them. I mean, isn't that true for us? We love our kids. We want what's best for them. Now, we may not always agree with our children about what's best for them. And so, therefore, they may not see it that way. But as we try to work in their best interests, um, hopefully they'll grow up and look back one day and say, oh, yeah, my parents really did want what was best for me. Uh, Again, we as parents sometimes don't get it exactly right because none of us are the perfect parent. But God is. We're going to read the whole passage later, but just one verse from a passage in Matthew 7, verse 11. It says, if you then, who are evil, not mean totally evil, but you're sinful people. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? Okay? So God loves his children and wants what is best for them. And then what Vita mentioned a little while ago, letter D, God disciplines his children for their good. God disciplines his children for their good. Um, Scripture makes it clear that if you never discipline your children, you don't really love them. That sounds a little harsh. But a person who is not disciplined is going to get into all kinds of trouble. So if we don't discipline children, we're basically saying, I don't care whether you get into trouble or not. Discipline meaning to put back on the straight, straight and narrow, you know, to get back on the right path. Not to punish or to condemn or, or to harm in any way, Okay. Uh, I'm not going to read that particular passage of Scripture in Hebrews 12, verses 5 to 11. You can read that later. But it basically says, when you're going through hard times, don't get all upset. Just know God is helping you to be disciplined. He's trying to disciple. The word disciple comes from the same root word, to disciple, to train, to discipline. He said, we've had earthly fathers fathers who tried their best to discipline us, and it insinuates they didn't always get it exactly right. And now that we're mature, we look back and we respect them for it. How much more should we respect our Father, our Heavenly Father, who disciplines us? He says, discipline is not fun at the time. That's like one of those duh moments. Of course, discipline is not fun. But it always reaps a good result, okay, if we're trained by it. The last one, letter E, again, this is not exhaustive, but God is forgiving of his children. I am really glad of that one. You know, sometimes people think, well, I understand God forgives, the Bible says that, but I don't know that he can forgive me because 
I've done an awful lot of stuff or I've done some pretty big things or whatever. But I, I think the greatest proof and maybe word of encouragement to this is the story that we're all familiar with, the story of the prodigal son. That's what we have there, Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. Okay? The prodigal son who basically went to his father and said, I wish you were dead. He didn't use those words. So give me my inheritance. I'm out of here. And he went and he wasted it all. And when he came back, hoping to somehow be a servant, because his father's servants were treated much better than he ended up once his money was gone, his father accepted him back as a son. And um, so God is forgiving of his children. Now, again, there's other attributes of God being father, but those are the ones that came to me. You gave a couple others there. But let's go on to the second question. How are these truths evident in Jesus' teaching and actions? In other words, as we look at Jesus' life, especially in the story of the Gospels, how did Jesus relate to God being Father? What did he have to say about God being Father? Not just him being our Father, but maybe his Father. So what comes to mind when you think of Jesus and him talking about relating to God as Father? Lynn? All right, that's a really... Different one than us, for sure, that he and the Father are one. He referred to God as his Father, but he said he and the Father are one. And we're not going to dig deeply into that, but that Jesus, even though he is separate from the Father, he and the Father are still one. They're both God. And then you bring the Holy Spirit in, you got the whole Trinity thing. But yes, he said, I and the Father are one. He even told Philip, you know, Philip says, well, show us the Father. He says, I've been with you this whole time. When you see me, you've seen the Father. (laughs) Okay, I think I saw another hand back there. What other things? Yes. He said, Father, forgive them, okay, for they know not what they do. So Jesus prayed to God as Father, all right? What else do you think of when you think of Jesus, Father, uh, God being Father, His Father, our Father, whatever, His teachings? Anything about that? That's good. It says that Jesus, it says several places, we're going to get to that a little bit later, He is His only begotten Son. Some have used that phrase to say, well, Jesus isn't God, because if he's his only begotten, that means he came into being, came into existence at some point in time. And if that's the case, he's not eternal. And you may have wondered the same thing. Well, we're going to get to that tonight, uh, not in depth, but we're going to get to the explanation of that in just a little bit. But he is his one and only begotten son. So if we are sons and daughters, but Jesus is the only begotten, then he is a son, but he's son in a different category than we are. Okay, so we'll talk more about that in a minute. Chris. All right, it was expected, and he taught that the way they treat him, the way the people treat Jesus is the way they treat the Father, especially the religious leaders. You know, they were disrespecting him, and therefore they were disrespecting God. Yeah. Anything else? Yes, Carlton. Yes, at Jesus' baptism, when he was baptized and he came out of the water, the heavens opened. Um, the Holy Spirit came down upon Jesus to anoint him for ministry, and it was in the form of a dove. We don't know if it seemed like a dove, whatever. But God spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So not only did Jesus call God Father, but God the Father called Jesus his Son. And that wasn't the only time. Trivia question, when was the other time that God literally spoke audibly to call Jesus his Son? The Mount of Transfiguration. Exactly. That'll be in our notes in a little bit too. Lynn. He totally submitted himself to the will of the Father. Great example for us. But Jesus being God himself in his position as son submitted himself to the will of the Father. 
Yes. Vita, you got another one? Okay. He looked to the Father for all that he needed and trusted him. Yes. Tim. He was totally obedient to his father. That's right. And that obedience manifested itself. You know, the Gospel of John's, uh, of all four of the Gospels, the Gospel of John talks the most about Jesus being God's son, God being Jesus' father, the relationship. But over and over and over again, Jesus said, I came to do what my father wanted me to do. I came to say what my father wanted to say. It wasn't all about him. Uh, of course, he's united with his father, in unity with his father, so it's not that there's any discord or, or difference, but it was all about doing what the Father wanted him to do and saying what he wanted to say. Okay, All these things are true. Now, let me give you the ones I came up with. I'm not trying to say mine are more important. It's just I had to make up a note sheet, so mine are on there. All right? So these truths evident in Jesus' teaching and actions, letter A, Jesus claimed that God was his Father. Lots of places, especially in the Gospel of John, that illustrate this. But I chose John 5.18 because we see the reaction of the religious leaders. It says, this is why the Jews, and this is speaking primarily about the Jewish religious leaders and their followers, but this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with John. So when I was typing up, finally typing up the final copy of my notes today, I thought, I know that this topic of Jesus calling God father and being his son and stuff, is more in John than any other gospel. So I did a search for the word father in the gospel of John, okay? Just for fun, okay? Somebody, somebody give me, a, give me a, a guesstimate of how many times you think the word father is used in the gospel of John, which is 21 chapters long. How many times do you think father is used in the gospel of John? Take a guess. 20. Anybody else? What did you say, Vita? 21. <laughs> okay. We're not giving a prize, so don't think you're going to hedge your bet on the higher side. Anybody else have a guesstimate? 17? 40? How about about 100? 21 chapters, and the word father is used about 100 times. Most, a great majority of them are talking about, I didn't actually sit down and put them in columns and count it up, but I skimmed through them. A great majority of them is talking about God being Jesus' father. A bunch of them are talking about God being our father or believers' fathers. And there's a handful in there when she's talking about somebody's father. Okay? Well, it might not be exactly in everyone, but they're all going to be close. Okay? It's all going to be close. It might be exactly, though, because father is a pretty distinctive word. And so when they're translating it, they're probably going to translate it father. So Jesus claimed that God was his father. Letter B, Jesus is God's unique son. As I said before, we are called God's sons and daughters if we're believers. Jesus is his son. But we find that, again, depending on your translation, uh, John 1.14, John 1.18, 3.16, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. John 3.18 um, some translate it only begotten, some translate it one and only. It all comes from the same root word, and that word um, means one of a kind or unique. Again, there are some people that would say, well, Jesus wasn't really God because he was a begotten son. It was basically a, 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 
uh, a colloquialism, um, I'm not, I can't think of the right word I'm trying to, to, to use here. You know, a figure of speech, all right, a way they said in their language to talk about being unique. And you can even prove that from Scripture. Because there's a place in Scripture where that same word is used to say that Isaac was Abraham's one and only son. Was Isaac literally Abraham's one and only son? No, Ishmael was his older brother. What was he trying to communicate? That was God's chosen. That was the unique one. Okay? And so that was, is what that phrase is talking about. Jesus is uniquely God's son. They have a special relationship that no one else has. All right? And it was already mentioned earlier here uh, at the baptism, Matthew 3.17. God said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. At the transfiguration in Matthew 17.5, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. He added a little bit extra there. You know, it's interesting. There's a, probably a couple years there between the baptism and the, and the transfiguration. I can't help but wonder if, you know, the first time at the baptism, he says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Everybody listened to stuff. He got his disciples, and maybe they weren't listening like they were supposed to. So God said, listen, let me repeat myself. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Now listen to him, okay? Just making a little joke there. So What? Especially because of Peter, yeah. Letter C. Jesus addressed his prayers to God as his father. Okay? So not only do you say we can call God father, but he demonstrated that for us. Now here's another trivia question. We'll see if you know the answer or can figure it out. Every one of Jesus' prayers recorded in the Bible, except for one, begins with him calling out to God as father. Anybody know what prayer Jesus prayed where he didn't start out by saying, Father? Michelle? No, if you look that way, he talks about him being his father. Yeah, good guess. What'd you say? When he was hanging on the cross, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay? And I, pers- perhaps I personally believe the only reason he didn't say Father there is because he was actually quoting Psalm 22. You know, he just quoted the beginning of it, and the, and the people that were there, even though he only quoted the beginning, they would immediately think of the whole thing. And you go read all of Psalm 22, and it's so descriptive of the cross, even though it was written way before crucifixion was invented, you know, and it illustrates what happened to Jesus. Um, but every other time, Jesus started his prayers by saying, Father. Um, one of his most well-known prayers and longest ones that we have recorded is John chapter 17. The prayer that Jesus prayed um, the night he was betrayed when he's talking to his father about how he's ready to come and be glorified with his father once again and how God should protect his followers. You know, he's taken them out of the world, but they're still in the world and they're going to be dealing with a lot of stuff. And as we've mentioned many times before, he prayed for us because he prayed for all the people that would believe in him down through history. And in that prayer, um, five times uh, Jesus mentions father. Okay, Um, and then um, going uh, to what you were talking about, Michelle, which was a very good guess, but Mark chapter 14, verses 35 to 36, is talking about the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, in going a little farther, Jesus fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And those are just a couple of examples. There's several other prayers where he called out to Father. Um, Jesus spoke to God as his Father in a tender, trusting, respectful manner. 
very simply, very openly, um, honestly, without reservation or hesitation. So let's go on to the third question now. In light of the fact that God says, uh, God says, Jesus says, we can call him Father, kind of a new thing when Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus himself did so. How should these truths we just talked about impact the way I pray and what I pray for? Another way of wording that would be, would be how should the fact that God is my Father affect the way I pray and what I pray for? And I've got a couple things down there, but you may have totally different ones, and they may all be right. What do you think? The fact that God is our Father, how should that impact the way we pray? Jesus did say we should pray to the Father in his name. Uh huh. What else comes to mind when you think about God being Father and how should that affect our prayers? I think I saw Tim first. Go ahead. Okay, so when we pray, one of the purposes is to build our faith in him as Father. Okay, Veronica. Amen. Pray that his will be done. He's dad. He knows what's best. Don't you wish your kids would have said that growing up? Mom and dad, I respect you. You're so mature and you want what's best for me. So whatever you want. Aren't you glad that that's, you know, the way we are with God? We're always saying, God, whatever you want, not what I want. Right. That's how we should pray. Right, Veronica? Chris, I saw your hand next, I think. Okay, if I could rephrase what you said, our Father has a lot of resources he makes available to us, and we can ask him for that. Well, we could come up with all kinds of illustrations for that, right? I mean, you're not going to go to the guy that lives down the street that you don't know very well and ask him for money or to borrow his car or, or whatever because you don't have any relationship. But your father, if you've got a good relationship with your father and you haven't just wrecked the car yesterday, I mean, you can ask him for all kinds of stuff. And if it's for a good purpose, he wants to help you with that. So... Our father has great resources that because we're his children, we can come to him knowing that he wants to help us out. I saw several other hands, but I can't remember who they were. Vita? Pray for others more than yourself. This goes back to our lesson last week when we talked about our, we, and us. Remember, it's not just me and Jesus. It's all of us in Jesus, and we're part of a family. And so when we talk about prayer, it shouldn't just be about me. It's about our Father. Well, we're coming to you as a family. And so it's not just what I need. It's what my brother needs. It's what my sister needs. Okay? And uh, if you want to know more about that, listen to last week's lesson. But that's a very good point. In fact, it's on here too. What else comes to mind when you think of how our prayers should be affected by the fact that God is our Father? Okay. Having reverence for him. That he's not just, I like you said, a microwave, you know, you just went real quick, or a vending machine, right? Having reverence and respect, but also the other side of it too, right? We should have the reverence respect, but not just in the sense of fear, because since he's father, we can also come to him with love and knowing he's, it's not like we're going before a political figure or a ruler to ask a favor or, or whatever, but we're coming to a father who loves us. We treat them with respect, but yet knowing they love us. Okay, I saw another hand over here. Go, go ahead, Verissa. Pray with thankful hearts. Again, something we wish our kids would do better, or did better, right? <laughs> that they were thankful and grateful for all we did for them, right? All right, Joan, and then we'll come over to you. That's right. Pray with confidence because we're talking to our Father who wants what's best for us. Again, not going to some government agency, not going to some 
whatever, where we're just trying to get what we need from people who don't care. Carlton. Okay. I thought you were going to the last question there for a minute. Was how does this change our life? You said God asks us to be holy, and that's true. That would fit there. But knowing we can't do it on our own, so going to him for help to do what he asks us to do. All great answers. Let me go ahead and give you what I got because we do want to try to finish on time here. So under number three, how should this truth that God is our Father impact the way I pray and what I should pray for? Again, this isn't exhausted. You guys gave great answers. There's going to be some overlap here. But letter A, we should pray to build relationship, not just bring requests. And that goes back to what Sharon says. It words it a little bit differently. That if he's our Father, prayer isn't just coming to get what I want or what I think I need. It's to build a relationship. I won't ask you if you've ever had any kids or grandkids that the only time you heard from them was when they wanted to ask you for something. But you can imagine whether you did or not how that would make you feel. For anybody, that the only time they ever talked to you is when they wanted something. But sometimes that's what our prayers degenerate into. And so we need to pray to build relationship, not just to bring requests. And that is the simplest answer to the question of, well, if God already knows what I need, why should I bother to pray? Because prayer isn't just about asking for what we need. Okay? All right. Uh, We have the privilege of intimacy with our Father rather than a formality. We take advantage of that to build our relationship with Him. Okay? Um, So, Joan, this is what you said. Did you fill in the blanks and say it, or did you say it before you saw it on the piece of paper? Letter B. You what? Okay, letter B. We should pray with confidence that God loves us and wants what's best for us. You know, I got two daughters. They're both grown now. The youngest one's almost 40. But growing up, but even now, if there's something I know that they need that I could help them with, you know, I would do anything to try to help them. And I'm sure that each of you would be the same way. Um, And can I tell you, God's a whole lot better father than I am. All right. Um, Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11. I referred to verse 11 a little bit earlier. In his teaching on prayer, Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Okay? So it goes back to we should pray with confidence that God loves us once what's best for us. That's the way we feel about our kids, how much more God. I've mentioned this before. It's not original with me. I've heard somebody else say it. That it says here, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? We don't realize sometimes we're asking God for stones. And God wants to give us bread. Okay? We're asking for something that's going to hurt us. We don't think it will. And that's why God says no. All right? And that leads to letter C there. We should pray knowing that if God says no, there's a good reason. We're asking for the wrong thing. Or we're asking for it at the wrong time. Okay? Or God's got something better for us. Uh, You probably like I am, looking back at some of the prayers you've prayed in the past and God said no. You were so frustrated, but now you look back and say, God, thank you so much for telling me no. You know, that affects where we live, the kind of occupation we had, the kind of jobs we had, who we married, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, so we should pray knowing that if God says no, there's a good reason. Letter D, we should ask for forgiveness knowing that God is more than willing to forgive. 
We already dealt with that with the parable of the prodigal son. That's the Luke 15 passage again. Knowing that no matter how bad it's gotten, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, no matter how far astray you've gone, if you come back to God in repentance, he will forgive you and welcome you with open arms. You're not going to get another inheritance. Now, what I mean by that is that there are consequences to our sins. We'll still go to heaven. I'm not saying he's not going to let you into heaven. I'm just saying when we do disobey the Father and we walk away from him, we do lose out in this life primarily, okay? But also we could lose some rewards in heaven. We won't lose our salvation, all right? But, but God still loves us. He will take us back, okay? I firmly believe the only sin God will not forgive is a lack of asking, a lack of being willing to repent and go back to him. Letter E, we should make it a priority to include the rest of our family in our prayers. That's what Vita was saying earlier. We talked about that a lot last week. Our Father. So we come to God. We're developing that relationship, but we're not doing it all by ourselves. We're in a family. And so we bring our family to God. Last question. How should these truths impact the way I live as I seek to follow Jesus? In other words, in relation to this term, Father... How should the fact that God is my Father affect the way I live as I seek to follow Jesus? Trying to follow Jesus? God's my Father. How does that impact that? Chris? Okay. He wants to help us with our life. He's not up there ready to zap us uh, with lightning, as the typical thing would be, or to hit us with a baseball bat. He wants to help us with life. Okay? Barissa? We should be totally dependent on him at all times. That was good. What else? Lynn? It should make it easier to love him because he's a father. Again, he's not some bureaucrat, some government official, some person we're trying to get a loan from or whatever. He's a father. So it should make it easier to love him, and I would add to that and obey him. Yeah. Because if he's going to ask us to do something, he's going to ask us to do it because it's what's good for us. Yeah. Anybody else? Sure, as we reach out to other people to tell them about God being Father. It should motivate us because we've experienced that, but also let us know that God wants that to be true too, so he's going to help us in that effort to reach other people for him. All right? Anybody else? Vita? We need to maintain that intimate relationship with him. You know, any relationship of significance, whether you're talking about husband, wife, parent, child, whatever it might be, best friends, it's not going to stay that way unless you work at it unless you maintain it. When my wife and I do premarital counseling, we have these questions that we ask. Um, They're not trick questions, but they're definitely worded in such a way to really make you think. And one of those questions is, if a couple is truly, truly in love, that condition is permanent and um, will never change. Nothing will affect it, you know, uh, good or bad. And the answer is, no, that's not true. Okay? It's only if you maintain that relationship... Can you go through those things? Because everything's going to affect it for good or bad, but if you maintain that relationship. Well, let me go ahead and give you our answers because it's about time to go. Um, How should these truths impact the way I live as I seek to follow Jesus? Letter A, it should make it easier to obey God knowing he only asks what's best for us. And Lynn mentioned you could put love God in that same one. You may want to put both of them, one above the other. Should be easier to obey God or to love God. And they actually, in God's mind, are kind of the same things. If you love me, you'll obey me. 
you know. Uh, letter B, we should work hard to maintain our family relationships. Now, I put family relationships. Vita mentioned specifically our relationship with our father. Okay, and that's definitely true. But because it's our father and we're in a family, we should work hard to maintain our family relationship. Not with just our father, but with each other. I've used this illustration so many times. But as a parent, if you're driving down the road and your kids are fighting in the back seat, what do you want? Stop. Okay? Get along. All right? And if they're fighting and say, hey, can we stop for ice cream? It's like, no. You know, if they're fighting really bad, it's like, you're not having ice cream for a week. Not so you can learn to get along together. And so we should work hard to maintain our family relationships. Let her see there. We should actively invite others to become part of the family. We don't ever want to become so used to the fact that we're part of the family of God. We can call him father, and we're just so comfortable with that. Even if we're in good relationship with our brothers and sisters, and we're in this holy huddle, and we don't care about the people that are outside that group, to invite them to become part of the family too. So the fact that we can call God father should give us a heart of compassion for them too. So, to summarize this, we have a loving Heavenly Father who deeply loves us, wants what's best for us. We should spend time with Him to deepen our relationship with Him, knowing however He chooses to respond to our conversations, it will be for what's best for us. And we need to keep in mind that God is not only our Father, but also the Father of our brothers and sisters, and wants to be of other people too. Before we close in prayer, let me just say that next week we're going to dig into the next phrase. Uh, Jesus said, pray, our Father in heaven. We're going to be looking at in heaven. What does that mean? How does that impact our prayers? How does that impact our lives? Um, Let me just give you a little trivia thing. Um, And you may want to research this a little bit on the internet. It's very easy to do. That when it says our Father in heaven, in the Greek, it's literally in the heavens. Okay? Does that have significance? Well, think about it. Do a little research. But what does the fact that Jesus says we're talking to our Father in heaven, the fact that he's in heaven, what does that mean? How does that impact our lives? How does that impact our prayers? Where do we see that in Scripture? Where do we see that maybe in Jesus' life and teachings? Okay? So let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that we can call you Father. And you're a good, good Father, perfect Father. Help us to serve you, Lord God, as good children, Lord God. Help us not to doubt you. Help us to trust you. Help us to have faith in you. Help us to obey you. Help us to love you, knowing you always have our best interests in mind. And when you say no, there's a good reason. Lord, I pray that you would help us to get along together as your children in your family, to work together to love you and to serve you and to obey you and to to reach out to other people. And Father, we pray for those other people who do not yet know you as Father. God, we pray that you would draw draw them to yourself and use us to point them to you. God, we give you the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.